Well, how many of y'all have finished your Christmas shopping thus far? You, you already finished it. Go ahead and raise your hand if you finished your Christmas shopping. Oh, you overachievers. Uh, I have begun. Uh, now, here's what I mean by I have begun. We're in the midst of COVID, and so, uh, so much of Christmas shopping is online. So I figure if I have spent any time at all on Amazon, uh, then I have engaged in some form of Christmas shopping. So uh, that is where I am. Y'all who are online, I hope that uh, you are uh, uh, at least making progress on your Christmas shopping. It, it's an amazing thing that we live in a day and time uh, where so much of our shopping can be done uh, without ever leaving our living room. We can do it all from a desk. Uh, so much of our shopping can be done without uh, venturing out into the uh, big, wide world. And that is an amazing thing, but we still have to take the presents once they're delivered to us. We have to wrap the presents unless you've paid uh, extra for having them wrapped. We, 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 we want to hand those presents off. We want to give them uh, to family and friends. Uh, and so uh, we certainly uh, join in people all around the United States in Christmas shopping. I was curious as to how much money was spent uh, at Christmas time uh, for Christmas presents. And so I did a little research. Uh, they estimate that in 2020, even in 2020, uh, that uh, the total retail for Christmas is going to be around $755 billion. People in the United States of America, when you pile them all together, they're spending $755 billion. I can't even wrap my head around that. Uh, and if you're like uh, our family, you uh, want to make sure that you're wise with your money, but there have been seasons and times, especially in days past, uh, when you have three children in college at the same time, you begin to think about Christmas purchasing uh, with a credit card. And I know you Dave Ramsey fans would be, uh, you know, yelling at me right now, but, but sometimes you just do. And, and so uh, there are a lot of people who buy Christmas on credit cards, and they may have a plan to pay off the uh, Christmas shopping, or they may not have a plan to pay off the Christmas shopping. Uh, but of the 70, $755 billion of, of Christmas purchases in 2020, uh, it is also estimated that a, a, a little more than 21% of those will be made uh, by credit card. There will be a debt uh, that is incurred. That's $159 billion of debt uh, that will be incurred uh, for Christmas purchases. That is amazing to me. Again, I can't even begin to fathom the, the depth, the width, the height, the length of $159 billion debt. But that's what we're going to spend at Christmas. Uh, now, imagine what it would look like if a conglomeration of the richest men in the United States got together and they said, you know what? Uh, we know it's a hard time during 2020, and we know that families all around the world want to have Christmas, um, and we know that many of them are going into debt to pay for Christmas. What would it look like if these uh, uh, billionaires got together and said, we're going to pay off all the Christmas debt 
for 2020. Now, you make that more personal. Uh, on average, the average home will spend somewhere around $1,400 of debt on Christmas. And so it's not just this big $159 billion debt, but it's also your personal debt. They come to you and they say, you get a letter in the mail, certified letter, and it says, if you'll fill out this form and return it to us, we will pay your $1,000 or $2,000 or $500 debt right now. What a gift that would be, wouldn't it? An amazing gift that we would receive. Today, when we think of Christmas, I want us to think about the greatest debt we've ever owed being paid by the God who loves us. In Hebrews chapter 2, and I want you to go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 2. In Hebrews chapter 2, the, the preacher, that's who I call the writer of Hebrews, the preacher is talking about Jesus and, and the birth of Jesus and the coming of Jesus and what that means for us today. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2 is not one of your more familiar Christmas passages. Uh, perhaps you were thinking that we would look at Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, where God spoke through the prophet Isaiah and said, uh, I will give you a sign. Uh, the virgin will give birth to a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel. That's a Christmas passage. Or Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, where the prophet Isaiah, speaking of the birth of the Savior, says, "For unto us a son is born; unto us a uh, for unto us a child is born; unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace." That's a Christmas passage. Or in Matthew chapter one, where the angel comes. Uh, to Joseph and says, go ahead and marry Mary. Uh, marry her because she is going to give birth to a son and you will call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us, for he shall deliver his people from their sin. That's a Christmas passage. Or Luke chapter 2, which we will look at in a couple of weeks. Luke chapter 2 uh, where the angels are keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David the Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign unto you. You'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly the sky was filled with a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Now that's a Christmas passage. Hebrews chapter 2. Is that really a Christmas passage? Absolutely. No less than any of the other passages that I've quoted. They, this passage speaks to us about the coming of Christ and really speaks to us about the story behind why Christ was born in Bethlehem. Let's read together, beginning in verse 14. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Inasmuch then... As the children, by the way, that's you and me, as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, and that means that you and I have flesh and bones, right? 
Inasmuch as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself, that's Jesus, he himself likewise shared in the same. That means that Jesus was born. He was born in Bethlehem. He took on flesh and bone. He, uh, he, likewise, he shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. Verse 15, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, Jesus does not give aid to angels, but Jesus does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, Jesus had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, so that he might make propitiation or make the payment For the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Now, where's the Christmas story in that? What is the message of the Christmas story according to Hebrews chapter 2? Well, it's telling us uh, why Jesus came. In verse 10, it said, It is fitting uh, for Jesus to come as the captain of our salvation so that he might suffer. Now, why did Jesus have to suffer? Well, as we look at the cradle of Bethlehem, and and aren't aren't you, uh, we just sang away in a manger. No crib for a bed. Uh, We we, we sing this romantic song about Jesus in Bethlehem. And and rightly so, it it is a majestic picture of Jesus being born. But Christmas isn't about a baby. The Christmas story is bigger than just a baby born in Bethlehem. Christmas is the story of Jesus, who is and always has been God. Jesus came and became flesh and bone, became a baby, shrunk his deity in the skin of a baby, walked in the sandals of a man so that he might travel to a cross to die for sinners like you and me. Here is the message of Christmas, that Jesus is born to bear a cross for our forgiveness. You see, you and I owed a debt, and that is the debt of our sin. And that dead debt was bigger than $155 billion dollars. It was wider and deeper and stronger and more powerful. It was a debt that we could never repay with all the good works that we could ever imagine. We could never pay that debt of sin that we owe to a holy and perfectly pure God. That sin had separated us from God so that we lived in the dismal swamp of our own despair and we could find no hope in this life. But God saw us in our plight and saw us in our misery. And he determined that he would provide forgiveness for our debt. That he would pay the debt that our sin had incurred. And so he sent Jesus to be born in a manger and a stable to live his life perfectly and without sin. And to die for us on a cross 
so that we might be forgiven forever. This is the message of Christmas. As we look at the story of Christmas and the meaning behind the, the, the manger in a stable, the meaning behind shepherds keeping watch over their flock by night, uh, we, we look at this meaning and it, it is so personal to us, even though it's as wide as the world. It's personal in particular to us because what Christmas means is that God has provided forgiveness for me, a sinner so that I might live in fellowship with him. As we look at this passage, I I, I want you to understand that, yes, Jesus was born, and he was born in a miraculous way. He was born in a way never known in the history of humanity, nor ever will be known in the future of humanity. And in verse 14, uh, the, the writer of Hebrews tells us about this birth. He says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. Jesus, who is and always has been God, took on flesh and bone. Verse 17, Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren. Made like his brethren is another picture of the birth of Jesus. What is this uh, significance? It's that God took on humanity without losing his deity. It's that God became um, with us. And God who existed before time began, God who shaped the heavens and the earth with a word and a breath, God who made you and me, this same God, the creator of the cosmos, the great giver of the universe, has given himself in such a way that we might be forgiven. He was born. This is the miraculous part, the the Emmanuel section of Isaiah and Matthew's gospel, God with us. It's, it's, It's a unique picture that God is not some distant deity living in icy isolation from us, but his mobile and infinitely passionate love has sent him on a course to be born in a manger and a stable, to take on flesh and bone. We hear the story of this partaking of flesh and bone in John chapter 1. In John's gospel, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word. That Word is Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Down in verse 14, it says, And the Word, Jesus, became flesh. And he dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Later in John chapter 1, we hear John the Baptist looking at grown-up Jesus saying, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in the cross, we find fulfillment of the cradle's promise that Jesus came to die so that we might live. And Jesus was born. Uh, He humbled himself and took on the skin of humanity, walking in the sandals of a man and Jesus was born and he came in a uh, took on the form of a bondservant came in the likeness and the appearance of a man and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself to the point of death even death on the cross Jesus wanted and, and provided the pathway for us to find forgiveness from our sin and oh how we need forgiveness 
Can I ask you, have you ever lived under the weight of an unforgiven act that you have done? I'm talking about in your relationships at work or with your spouse or children or parents or friends or family. Have you ever lived under the weight of an unforgiven act that you have done? Harsh words spoken in anger. Harsh deeds done. Have you ever lived under the weight of an unforgiven act? I I think all of us have in our relationships. I'm not even talking about God right now. I'm just talking about with neighbors and friends and family, co-workers, classmates. You've said something. You've done something. You betrayed a confidence. And every time you see that person that you wronged, how do you feel? And just your emotions. Well, if you're, if you're not dead inside, you feel something. You feel the fear of reprisal or confrontation, being reminded that you have done them wrong. Or you feel guilt or shame. And maybe you take that trip long enough and you just feel anger every time you see them and you think your anger is toward them, but it's really an anger pointed back at yourself. When we have wronged someone and we haven't received or asked for forgiveness of that wrong, it leads to guilt and shame and bitterness and anger, loss of joy, loss of hope, The expansion of fear in our soul, that's what happens when we live with the weight of an unforgiven act or deed. All of us in the room and online, we all live under the weight of an unforgiven sin. Now, we have sinned against a holy God, and and that sin against God has led us on a crash course cycle of despair that we can't fix ourselves. So God sent Jesus to build the bridge of forgiveness to us. Now, I, I just want you to see what this forgiveness offers. Because it's important for us to understand that this forgiveness offers us something powerful and something meaningful, something freeing in our life. This forgiveness was not merely the evaporation of the debt we owed. No, the forgiveness that God offers is literally a paying of the debt. So, What this forgiveness does, first and foremost, it it, it flows through the sacrifice of Christ. The only way you and I can find forgiveness is through the sacrifice of Christ. The only way our debt can be paid is through the death of Christ. And many times I've been asked over the years, why did Christ have to die? Well, the simple answer is Christ had to die Christ had to die because I had sinned. Throughout Scripture, the Bible tells us that it is by His stripes that we are healed. It tells us that it is only through the shedding of His blood that we can be forgiven or rescued. 
When Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He wasn't just making some big ontological argument. He was saying that the reason I am here is to pave the way for you to enter into relationship with God, and that can only happen if I die for your sin. Jesus suffered once on account of sin, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. Friends, forgiveness, the forgiveness that we desperately need can only happen through the cross of Christ. And Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And from the moment of his earthly birth, he was on a mission to the cross. Again, through death, verse 14, Jesus had to die. Verse 17, it is propitiation. Why did Jesus have to die? Propitiation in verse 17 is a word that means he's going to pay the debt. What, what did Jesus come to do? Jesus came to take you and me in our sin and provide a way for us to find forgiveness. But it could only happen through his sacrifice. Forgiveness that we desperately need flows through his sacrifice. Because Jesus came to die for sinners like you and me, there is a result for us who receive that forgiveness. Forgiveness flows from his sacrifice, but it does more. Forgiveness sets us free from fear. Look at verses 14 and 15. Uh, the second part of verse 14, through death, that through death, Jesus might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Now, he's describing us. Because of our sin, we lived shackled to shame and guilt. The sin against God had separated us from him, uh, from, from him, and you and I are wired to have friendship with God. But because of our sin, we couldn't. And so we were living with the weight of our unforgiven sin. God looked at us in our plight, and he sent Jesus to be born of a woman born under the law that he might redeem those who are under the law so that we might have adoption as sons and daughters. Jesus came to set us free, to release us from the bondage under which we had lived because of our sin, because of our guilt, because of our shame. And Jesus came to destroy death. Jesus came to destroy the devil through his life, through his death on the cross for sinners like you and me. And through his resurrection, you and I have been set free. Forgiveness means that I'm free from the shackles that once bound me. And I am free to live fully alive in the family of God. Forgiveness flows through Christ's sacrifice. Forgiveness sets us free. Forgiveness makes us fit for God's family. You realize that in our sin, we are unfit to be part of God's family. In our sin, unforgiven sin, we cannot have fellowship with a holy God. And that is our dilemma. That's our problem. That's our 
pain, if you want to peel back the layers of your relational life or your emotional life or even your physical life, at the root of everything we face is our separation from God. Without God, we have no hope. Without hope, we have no joy. Without joy, we have no peace. Without peace, we don't know love. Apart from God, we are empty. We are incomplete. We are living less than fully human lives. This is our plight. But God sent Jesus to forgive our sin. Verse 16 says uh, that uh, indeed... Jesus does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Now, what is the seed of Abraham here? He's not just talking about those who are Jewish uh, by their uh, ethnicity. He's talking about those who are grafted into the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Here's good news for you and me. Here's good news for all humanity that even though our sin is strong, God's forgiveness is stronger. Even though we are separated from God by our sin, God sent Jesus to bridge the distance, to become the sacrifice so that we might find forgiveness. He died on a cross for me so that I might live and so that I might be adopted into God's family. Again, Galatians 4, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those who are under the law so that we, you and I, might receive adoption as sons and daughters. And if we're sons and daughters, we're no longer slaves. But we're heirs of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We're part of the family. We're part of the seed of Abraham. And Jesus came to bring us into his family. He's, he's not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. In fact, he died to make us his brothers and sisters. In John chapter 1, verse 12, the Scripture teaches us exactly what it takes to be part of God's family to receive the forgiveness that Jesus offers, to be set free from bondage to sin and death. In John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, but as many as received Jesus, to as many as believed on his name, to them he gave the right, the power, the authority to be called sons and daughters of God. We don't sit at God's table because we're good or because we're Baptist or because we're religious or because we're moral or because we're American or Republican or Democrat. The only way we can sit at God's table is if our sin has been forgiven through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But when our sin is forgiven, when God makes Jesus who knew no sin to become sin on Eric's behalf, so that I might be made right with him, then he welcomes me into his family and he prepares the seat at his table so that you and I, who have by faith trusted in Jesus, might live each day empowered as sons and daughters of God. No longer living in the grip of guilt. No longer sitting in the cell of shame. We live free and fully alive part of God's family without fear all because of what Jesus has done from the cradle 
to the cross and the empty tomb. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, if you have not yet placed your trust in Christ, his death on the cross is payment for your sin, I invite you today to come to him by faith. I invite you to to, to walk across the bridge that his cross has built and receive the forgiveness. Imagine, in that earlier example, you get this certified letter from a billionaire and says, if you'll just fill out this form and return this to me, I'll pay off your Christmas debt. Imagine people who who refuse to do it out of fear or out of pride. Oh, I'm not doing that. There's a more poignant promise, a more powerful provision that God has made. He has provided the payment for your debt and mine, the debt of our sin. And he offers it to you. Will you say yes Or will you and your pride say no? Today I invite you to say yes. To receive the gift of forgiveness and life that Jesus died to give you. Well, that's the gift. What about the re-gift? You know, we're in this series. It's called Re-Gifting. And, and so, really, what we're doing is we're trying to see what God has given us. Now, how do we re-gift that to our neighbors and friends and family and coworkers and classmates? If the gift is Jesus was born to bear a cross for our forgiveness, the re-gift is to forgive others the way Jesus has forgiven us. But that's hard, isn't it? To forgive others the way we've been forgiven. That's tough. Forgiveness is like money. Most of us are happy to receive it, but it's a lot harder for us to give it. C.S. Lewis wrote, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable in another because God has forgiven the inexcusable in us. That's hard. And I'm not trying to make it easier on us because it is hard. It's a hard journey. Forgiveness doesn't mean fixing everything there is to a relationship, but it does mean I'm going to cover the wrong with God's grace. There are a lot of passages that speak to us about forgiving others. Um, The Lord's Prayer that many of you have memorized and could quote, there's a section in that Lord's Prayer that says, we better forgive others. You can read that on your own. The passage that I look at is from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, God tells me to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ also forgave me. Did you get that? That's not a suggestion, that's a command. So how can we forgive others the way God has forgiven us in Christ? When harsh words have been spoken, hurtful actions have been done to us, how do we forgive? 
We cover it with God's grace. We cover it with God's grace. We, we, we take that hurtful word and hurtful action and we say, that is covered by the forgiveness of God that I'm extending because I've been forgiven. We cover the co- crime with God's grace, but again, that doesn't get us to the easy part. And, and none of this is going to be easy, but indwelt by the Spirit of God, we are led to cover the crime with God's grace. But can I give you a simple help? Because we're commanded to forgive others, and because it's hard, maybe we need to remember that forgiveness begins with a decision, not with an emotion. Forgiveness begins with a decision, not with an emotion. If we wait to feel our way to forgiveness, we'll never forgive. But if we decide to forgive, we start the process of forgiving someone else. One helpful aspect of that is instead of focusing on the wrong that has been done to you as the source of motivation, focus on how God has already forgiven you of your crimes against Him. See, I really do believe that the more I lean into how much God has forgiven me, and He's forgiven me so much, and if I focus on how God has forgiven me, it helps me forgive others the way He has forgiven me. So today, I want to invite you as followers of Jesus to give one of the greatest gifts you could give this Christmas to a family member or a friend, a co-worker, a classmate, a neighbor. Give one of the greatest gifts that's ever been given to you. Give the gift of forgiveness. Would you bow your heads with me, please? This morning, I think it's important that I help any who are gathered with us online or in the room take that step of faith and receive for the first time the forgiveness that God offers through faith in Christ. Some of you here, you may be a religious person. Some of you are watching, you may be a moral person. Some of you participating with us today and and and. And maybe for the first time you see that it's your sin that has created such calamity in your life. And it's your sin that has separated you from God. And maybe you've been trying to work your way out of the debt of your sin. But God, by His grace and by His Holy Spirit, has opened your eyes to see that there's no working your way out of the debt of sin that you owe to God. But you see Jesus. More than just a babe in a manger, you see Jesus, the Savior who died on a cross for you so that you might be forgiven. And for the very first time, you long to live a forgiven life. If that's who you are, then I encourage you to follow along with me in these next few moments. The Bible tells us that if we Uh, confess that Jesus is our Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then we can be rescued. And Romans 10, 13 says that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord 
will be saved. I've already read John 1, 12, but as many as received Jesus, to as many as believed on his name, to them he gave the right to be called sons and daughters of God. Now, you look at those passages, Romans 10, 9, and 10, and Romans 10, 13, and John 1, 12, and here's the pathway for you to walk right now to receive now and for eternity the forgiveness that God offers and enter into God's family. The first step is acknowledging that you are a sinner and you, your, 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 your confession that your sin has separated you from God. And there's nothing you can do to fix that sin or pay that debt. When you acknowledge that you're a sinner, you also believe. And this is the tricky part. This is the part that you can't manufacture, but it's the part that God provides. By His Spirit, He opens your eyes to see your need for Jesus, and you believe that Jesus is your only hope for forgiveness. You believe that Jesus died for your sin upon a cross. You believe that He was raised from the dead so that you might live fully alive in His family. You acknowledge that you're a sinner. You believe that Jesus died for your sin upon a cross, that he was raised from the dead so that you might be fully alive and part of God's family. Then you commit yourself to follow after Jesus in every way. You give him your life. You say, Jesus, I, I, I relinquish control of who I am, and I give it to you, and I commit to follow you all the days of my life. If that's the desire of your heart, then I encourage you to pray a prayer like this. There's nothing magical about the words of this prayer, but if, it, if these words reflect the desire of your heart, then I invite you to pray like this. Oh God, I confess that I'm a sinner and that my sin has separated you, me from you, and, and I can't fix it. I can't pay that debt. But I believe that you sent Jesus to be born so that he might bear my sin and die in my place on a cross. I believe that Jesus died for me so that I might be forgiven and that you raised him from the dead so that I might be fully alive in your family. So now, God, I commit myself to you. I surrender myself. To you. I submit myself to you. I give you my life. Now, thank you, God, for saving me, for forgiving me, for setting me free, for bringing me into your family. If you prayed that prayer, I want to encourage you. Uh, in the next steps as a follower of Christ. We want to celebrate that with you, and we want to help you in those next steps. If you did pray that prayer, I, I encourage you to uh, email me, pastor at firstnorfolk.org. Email me at pastor at firstnorfolk.org. And we will be in touch with you and, and celebrate with you and put some information in your hands that will help you as a follower of Christ live in that forgiven life that he's given you. Now, Father, in these moments as we come to you and as we celebrate all that you've accomplished through Christ 
on our behalf. We pray that you would encourage us and inspire us to live for your glory, to be forgiven, and to forgive others as you have forgiven us. Thank you, O God, for Jesus, our Savior, our Rescuer, who sacrificed his life to set us free and to make us fit for your family. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.